Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Our topic today is spring glyphosate applications. But even if you don't want to spray glyphosate this spring, many of the things we're going to talk about today would apply to a lot of different pesticides out there. If you've got any questions for us today, or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening in your farm right now, we'd love to visit with you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Before we get to the Ag PhD mailbag, I'll just give you a couple of things that I think are the most important about glyphosate, or I'll just say Roundup since that's the name brand product. Uh, but most people don't talk about these things. Point number one is this. Temperature makes an enormous difference on how Roundup works. Now, it makes a big difference on how most contact herbicides work as well. So we could talk about dicamba, 2,4-D, gramoxone, Liberty. So uh, almost everything. Temperature is a big deal. But it becomes an even bigger issue with Roundup since so much of that is used for burn down early in the spring. And that's exactly why we wanted to talk about this today. Here's our standard rule. And we've had this rule for over 20 years now. And this, by the way, is based on experience. And for Darren and me and the agronomists we work with consulting on tens of millions of acres across the United States and up into Canada. And what we found is if the nighttime temperature is below 50 degrees Fahrenheit, within two days before or two days after spraying, in order to get the same effectiveness out of the Roundup or any glyphosate, you're going to have to increase that rate by roughly 50%. Okay, this is not on the label, but this is what we have learned, again, on tens of millions of acres with tens of thousands of farmers and years and years and years of experience. So again, if the nighttime temp is below 50 degrees within two days before or two days after spraying, if you want to get the same effectiveness out of that glyphosate, you got to bump the rate by 50%. Now, granted, it's got to still be on label. You can't exceed the label rate or anything. And also, you might start going, oh my goodness, 50%. That's going to cost an arm and a leg. Yeah, it's going to cost like an extra dollar or two. So it's no big deal financially. And here's the way that I would look at it. You can go spray your lower rate, hope for the best. And and let me say, too, if all you're after is some easy-to-kill weed and you're already using a much higher rate than needed, well, you've already met this qualification. For example, if you're out there after foxtail and we're using, and you're using 6-pound Roundup, you really only need 8 to 12 ounces normally, and that's going to absolutely control that foxtail. If you're already spraying 22 ounces, well, you're way over the 50% that I'm, I'm talking about, so you're good to go. Where we run into an issue is when you're using right at the rate, like the bare, bare minimum rate to kill that weed. So for example, early in the spring, if you've got a whole bunch of lamb's quarters plants out there and you're using the 22 ounces and you don't bump the rate when it's cold, yeah, you're probably not going to kill every single growing point in the lamb's quarters plant. And then you're going to come back a few weeks later and go, hey, wait a second, these plants didn't completely die. They started shooting out sprouts from the toward the bottom and... I got resistant lambs quarters. No, you don't have resistant lambs quarters. You just didn't use a high enough rate. So that's what we would recommend. Also, if 
the nighttime temp within two days before or two days after spraying is going to be below freezing, our advice is don't even spray. Okay. So those are the very key things when it comes to temperature. Beyond that, I would just say coverage is a bigger deal than most people make it out to be. So we're going to talk today about spray nozzles and all that kind of thing. But don't forget with a lot of the spray nozzles out there, when you start saying, hey, I want something for drift reduction. Well, that means the droplet size is going to be a lot bigger. So there's less drift and that's fine for drift, but that means worse spray coverage and worse spray coverage means worse weed control. So again, if you're right at the border for the rate you're using and the weed you're after and, and the temperature and everything else, and now you're going to have worse spray coverage, your odds of getting control are just not that good. So I realize most people are talking about Roundup resistance, but a lot of times it comes back to temperature and it comes back to the rate you're using. And then of course the spray coverage. So if you're hitting all those things right. You got great temperature, you got really good spray coverage, and you're using an appropriate rate. We don't see near as much resistance or tolerance issues as a lot of people would lead you to believe. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Been talking a lot about alfalfa and other hay crops recently, and Jerome down in Nebraska has got a question about alfalfa and fertilizer. He said, I was curious if it would work if we use an old no-till drill to put phosphorus into the ground in an alfalfa field. It would be dry fertilizer. I've got a 10-inch spacing. In an existing stand or a new stand? Existing stand. Well, here's the... I Think about this. Even when you used to go cultivate in corn or soybeans, what happened? What were people worried about? Cutting off the roots. That's what I worry about when you're going to go out there every few inches, I, I mean, you're going to do the job of getting the fertilizer in the ground and that part's great. But the challenge is you're going to damage a lot of plants out there. So would I want to do that? Probably not. All right. Uh, thanks for that question. Uh, get one here from Peter. And he said, a lot of talk right now about building organic matter and building soil carbon. It is now possible to capture much carbon by adding subsoil microbes, mostly bacteria, uh, to organic matter that's been in, to organic material that has been incorporated, turning it into organic matter faster. And no need to make compost first. You could just add the bugs to organic matter out in a field. You know, that's, uh, that's nice feedback, Peter, where there's certainly a lot of work being done on natural soil microbes and especially ones that can convert that lignin portion down on plants and start breaking that down, turning it into organic matter faster. Keeping in, keeping in mind organic matter is decayed and decaying plant and animal material. Yeah, I think the bigger thing for a lot of people or a lot of the scientists is just pulling carbon dioxide out of the air and that can be done when you have more plants, more plant mass, better yields, everything. So, But yes, we, we understand what you're saying and, and microbes can absolutely help. We'll talk about spring glyphosate applications right after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. 
Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH. Built by farmers. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking today about spring roundup applications and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We've got Paul Johnson with us right now with South Dakota State University. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, too bad it wasn't a little bit warmer, but otherwise, pretty nice day out there. <laughs> yeah, it's the sun's out. It's a little deceiving when you look out the window, and then you step out and say, ooh, I really do need a coat yet. But, hey, the warm-up's coming, and eventually so will the weeds. And we've got a lot of growers, whether it's with cover crop they want to burn down, with an old alfalfa stand they want to take out, or just weeds out in their row crop fields that are going to pop up they're going to need a burn down on that are talking about Roundup applications. So you get so many questions, Paul, about Roundup and which weeds it's working on and when to spray it. What are your tips as we get into the early spring here? Well, I think first of all, we got to realize is uh, Roundup uh, acts on uh, actively growing green material. So if, if there isn't much material there, it's a lot harder to control it, especially if it's a perennial weed. And so we need to get as much growth as we can to get the best application we can. And then we also want as much heat as we can uh, because uh, obviously in cooler temperatures, the Roundup can get metabolized through the plant and sometimes, especially perennials, uh, may not get taken out because it's able to, to metabolize it and break down before it's totally got the plant killed. Yeah, it's, it's tricky to get temperatures that are warm enough, especially those nighttime temperatures. I know we talk about that a lot, Paul. Sometimes we'll get the, well, just like earlier this week, we had 70-plus degree day, almost 80 degrees in a lot of areas of the state, and then that night it gets down to 30. Well, that doesn't work yeah. very well for active growth. No, and, and that's the thing, and, and that's 
what's tricky about early on, and sometimes, you know, people say, well, you need to add additives or different things. And, and yes, they can help to a certain degree, uh, but there's nothing that helps better than temperatures. And and it's uh, the other thing that comes into play here is in spring, uh, control with, with Roundup is a lot harder than fall where we've got mature plants out there that we're, we're trying to kill. The temperatures don't need to be near as warm in the fall as they do in the spring. Yeah, lots, lots of differences from fall to spring, no doubt about that. One of the more popular questions you've had this spring, Paul, has been from growers saying, you know what, my key weed species isn't controlled by Roundup anymore. Are you still recommending we keep Roundup in the tank? Are there enough other weeds out there that we still need it? Well, yeah, and, and that's that's what it kind of comes down to, and, and that's where it's real important to know what you have for weeds out there. But uh, in a lot of cases, you know, some people are, are switching. Uh, but, uh, boy, if there's any grasses at all out there, it's pretty hard to take Roundup out of that tank for its um, price and also effectiveness. Okay, with the market prices, and certainly the markets are going crazy today, uh, there there are more guys that have a not-so-good alfalfa stand considering maybe I should take that out this spring, put in corn or soybeans or something else that may give me a higher profit opportunity this year. What What's your favorite for killing alfalfa off in the spring? Are you a 2,4-D guy? Are you a dicamba guy? Or are you a Roundup guy? Well, uh, that all comes down to what I want to do. If I want to do, um, if I'm going to do corn, to me, uh, 2,4-D is, is really hard to beat. Uh, um, if you got some growth there and, and that way. If you're going to beans, you know, if you got 2,4-D beans, uh, yeah, then you got some options there and you can do a good job. Um, uh, Roundup, uh, you got to get to some real high rates. And if you don't have about six inches of growth on that alfalfa, it's really tough to get it out. Yeah, I, I agree. That's what it comes down to. And and if, you, if you're going to use Roundup, too, you need, like you were talking about earlier, Paul, you need that temperature to be pretty good to get that active growth yeah. coming. So you need a lot of things just to fall into place to, to do a really excellent job with that. We're talking with Paul Johnson with South Dakota State University. Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Look forward to talking to you again later this growing season. Sounds good. Set out to North Carolina at North Carolina State. We've got Wesley Everman with us right now. Wesley, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys this afternoon? Pretty good. Okay, so we're just talking to Paul Johnson at South Dakota State. Now we're talking to Wesley in North Carolina. Now it sounds, when you say north, it sounds like you might be a little cooler than South Dakota, but uh, definitely not the case if you know your geography. No. <laughs> so you've already got some weeds growing out there. you got some guys getting out in the fields. Uh, what do you see in this spring with Roundup applications, and what kind of tips do you have to get the best control? Yeah, so far this spring, um, gosh, we've been really wet. So dodging the rain and getting into dry fields has been a challenge. So a number of the weeds with the warmer weather have been taken off, and it's a good time to get them. You know, when it's warm, I heard Paul mentioning that, that temperature is a big, important factor on control. And so far, we haven't had too many big temperature swings that can sometimes trip us up with the tougher weeds like ryegrass and bluegrass. But um, so far, I feel like most of our fields are looking pretty good this spring, uh, getting good burn down, 
um, and good activity. You get a lot of questions about cover crops, and certainly Roundup plays in to controlling most of them. But like you had mentioned, with wet conditions this spring in in parts of the country, some of that cover crop got kind of big this year. So are you changing anything up in in trying to get better coverage or or higher rates or any of those types of things? Uh, It's going to depend a little bit on the cover crop. Um, Generally speaking, we're going to still be recommending, you know, good coverage. So we want our carrier volumes, 15 GPA or better. Uh, you know, typically with glyphosate, we want a smaller droplet. We're not doing the large orifice nozzles like we are the auxins, right? So we want to get a good fine spray through there and try to get good coverage to get us good control. You know, the bigger the weeds, the bigger the cover crop, the more of a challenge. Uh, it might also be worth bumping the rate a little bit you know um, that little bit of extra cost can save you a second trip back through the field yeah you're right it's not very expensive to increase the rate on roundup anymore and you're right it's a lot cheaper than making that another making another pass out in the field uh, okay going yep. back to weeds you mentioned ryegrass and bluegrass as being tough to take out this time of year what are some of the tricks on those to to get the best control yeah, so what we've noticed, um, especially with the Italian ryegrass in our part of the country, we're seeing more and more resistance. Uh, for a while, it was add-in tank mixes, maybe try to get a, something, a clethodim product, select, or, or one of the generics in there to help out. Uh, we're seeing more ACCA's resistance, a little bit more glyphosate resistance. And so typically we're saying, you know, watch that rate, but also watch the weather. Um, it's still right now anecdotal, but we've been looking at some of the trends and we see more issues with failure of control when we've had a little stretch of cool weather. So if we're getting some nights where we're dropping down 20 or 30 degrees at night and then trying to come back and spray the next day, oftentimes we'll see less activity. We'll go out with our backpack sprayers or our little spray rigs put on a 2x or a 3x rate, try to see if we got resistance and, you know, boom, we kill it. And as we get looking back at that data, it seems like that weather plays a role. So we want those warm, warm evenings, warm nights before we're making applications. Yeah, you mentioned Roundup, you mentioned Clethodim, very inexpensive products where bumping the rate up doesn't cost a whole lot. And I agree with you. I Everybody wants to just get the job done. And I, I love that about farmers. They really want to get after, hey, there's weeds out there. I need to get them. But by the same token, if you wait an extra day or two, get optimum weather everything works so much better. We're talking to Wesley Everman down at North Carolina right. State University. Uh, Wesley, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here heading into the spring. All right, appreciate it. Have a good day. You bet. You too. Talking about spring roundup applications, we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions. I love this time of year. The questions have been flooding in. we got a bunch to get to in the Ag PhD mailbag. And also our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll get right back to some of those questions coming up after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. 
That's near-zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist Weed Control System, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. When it comes to leading herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Cheetah, a high-quality glufosinate herbicide made right here in the USA. Now for use on a wide variety of crops with glufosinate-resistant traits, including Enlist crops. Its novel mode of action will manage existing or emerging herbicide resistance and provide fast, effective results. This means you can focus more on profitability and less on weeds. New Farm and Cheetah Herbicide, here to help. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio. We're talking about spring roundup applications, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's go back to the phone lines. Got Trent with us right now out in the state of Washington. Trent, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I understand you had some weeds around the manure piles, and uh, that might have created some concern for you here. Uh, correct. Yeah, we had stockpiled some manure piles last fall, and we had um, we had them, uh, had some weeds spraying around them, and they used Tordon. And we, I was just curious if it would be a bad, uh, or what you thought if we could go ahead and spread that manure this year on the cornfields, or if we should wait, or what kind of buffer there was, or don't use it at all. 
Okay, so corn, we don't get that worried about. Now, no, just but, one second, too, just a clarifying question, Trent. The manure yeah. pile itself was sprayed with Tordon or just the weeds on the out, outer edge of the pile? The weeds on the outer edges of the piles. Okay. Yep. So anyway, a little bit of Tordon in a cornfield isn't really going to hurt anything. What it's going okay. to hurt is any broadleaf crop that would be out there. So the thing with Tordon, it's got tremendous residual. I mean, you might see a little bit of residual 10 years later if you use a high enough rate. I'm not saying you did or anything, but I am saying we're a little concerned if, let's say, some of that Tordon that got sprayed around the manure pile washed into the manure pile. It's certainly possible that there's now some Tordon in there, and it didn't just disappear in that little amount of time. Now, the good news is if you spread that out over enough acres, you're going to get the rate low. But where we've seen this happen before is there will just be spots here and there that a year from now, if you plant some broadleaf crop out there, you might see an issue. But, yeah, if it was me and I was going to plant corn out there, would I be concerned? No. Okay. Fair enough. That's what I wanted to hear. I appreciate the help. You bet. Yeah. Thanks, Trent. Thanks, Trent. Thanks. Yep. Have a good one. You too. Let's head down to Kentucky. We got our friend Nick Flights with us right now with Pentair. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. How are you? Pretty good. All right. We've already talked to uh, extension specialists from South Dakota and from North Carolina, and they talked about it's tough to get Roundup to work in these early spring applications, trying to get coverage on small weeds that if they're a winter annual or a perennial may have a great big root system. So we're hoping that you can help us out. Can spray tips make a big difference for us in this? Certainly they can. Spray tips can have a, you know, big influence on, on coverage as well as drift reduction. Um, you know, one of the big things I guess I'll start with trying to improve coverage. The easiest way to improve coverage is really to increase your application volume. Putting a little bit extra water out is going to increase the, the number of droplets we're creating, and ultimately it's going to help improve coverage of those targets. You know, talking from a, a nozzle side, a couple things we can look at in spray nozzles. Um, one thing is kind of a mid-range droplet size, I'll say. Um, you don't really want to be fine. I don't want to be any smaller than medium. You know, the smaller a spray droplet is, the, the lighter it gets, and... Um, you know, windy days, it's pretty windy out here today if you're trying to be out spraying. Um, it can be hard for those droplets to fall, you know, down if you're spraying uh, through any stubble. If you've got, uh, you know, any stubble in the field you're spraying to to try and get down to those weeds. Um, somewhere in that medium to coarse, very coarse is a good droplet size. And um, ultimately nozzles that uh, have an inclined spray pattern, whether it's a single spray pattern like the 3D or a dual fan spray pattern. You know, those can help get good coverage as well, um, get down through stubble. If you're spraying an uneven soil surface, maybe you got some ruts uh, left over from last year during harvest season, something like that. Um, we can get some weeds that, that grow in those areas kind of around soil clods that can be hard to reach. And those inclined spray patterns can uh, go a long ways in, in helping get coverage over those uneven surfaces. All right, Nick, we get so many questions coming in here, and, and we've had a number of them come in about these early spray applications. And one that I think is interesting is uh, old spray nozzles and growers saying, well, I'm going to try and get another year out of my old nozzles. And I 
it just made me cringe, Nick, because I think, you know, all the acres that we're going to go through these nozzles, all the applications that we're going to make, this is probably not the place you want to cut costs uh, and and not replace parts a little bit quicker. When you, you look at replacing old nozzles, what should growers be looking at as they get out there and start spraying here this spring? One of the first things I recommend is a visual check. When you're unwinterizing that sprayer, clearing the clearing things out, trying it out for the year, just spraying water, do a quick visual check of your spray nozzles. You know, nozzles, uh, they can get damaged pretty easily if you hit the ground or a fence post or even, you know, in the shed over the winter, a piece of equipment bumps up on some nozzles. Um, very small damage on them can significantly impact the, the spray pattern and the uniformity of it. So the first step is a visual check. The second is, and you don't have to go check every nozzle. You know, nobody has time for that. Just pick a handful of nozzles across your spray boom and um, do, the, do the water collection test. You know, that spot-on calibrator is a great tool. There's some others out there that um, set your sprayer at 40 PSI, collect it, the water, and you get a flow rate idea. You know, how close is the, the flow rate from what the manufacturer said? If nozzles wear, that flow rate is going to increase over time, and that's going to influence the, the rate controller in the sprayer and the pressure that's used and ultimately the droplet size. Now, as nozzles get more worn out, um, we can see some really big swings in pressure that occur and some really big swings in droplet size that could ultimately influence uh, the, the coverage and the uniformity of the coverage we see in the field. So some testing I've done um, with, with farmers in the field, a general rule of thumb is between 30 and 40,000 acres is a good time to be checking nozzles for the flow rate because about that 35 to 40,000 acre um, timeline is when we start seeing a lot of wear uh, occurring and we can see some big differences in flow rate um, when that occurs. Yeah, it's it's uh, something they definitely want to keep an eye on. I, I like that visual check too. If that pattern doesn't look perfect, why take a chance? Why why not just jump the gun here a little bit on the early side and, and make sure you get good performance out of those nozzles? All right, Nick. The other most popular question we've had about these early spray applications has been: Okay, I'm getting into cover crops. It's been wet. My cover crop has gotten bigger than what I was hoping for out in the field, and now I need to get great coverage. What what do you do? I'm assuming you're going to say I'm going to need a little more spray carrier out there, which is fine. It doesn't cost any more to add more water. But what else could I do to try to get down through all that canopy and get a complete kill? You're right. Always going to say add a little extra water. Outside of nozzles, you know, there's uh, some good adjuvant technology that can help with canopy penetration and in surface coverage. I would recommend looking into nozzles or looking into adjuvants. You know, pairing adjuvants and nozzles together, you can get some good performance increases. Um, so they look at, at adjuvants. And then on the nozzle side, um, I'm really going to echo uh, what I said earlier. Don't be too fine on your droplet size. If we get too fine on our droplet size, it's going to negatively impact coverage. We're going to see less coverage. So we're trying to get down into thick canopy. A little bit larger droplets are going to help. They're going to last longer. They're going to carry more energy because they're heavier and get down in that canopy. And uh, another time where incline spray patterns can also help as well. 
Yeah, a lot of tricky situations out there. You're going to need different tips and different application rates for various products and uses out of the field. We're talking with Nick Flights here. He's helped us put together the Ag PhD spray app guide and you can or spray tip guide. You can certainly download that for free. You can type in the products that you're thinking about. Uh, it gives you the the tips that'll give you the best performance, the use rates, all those types of things that that can help you out. So please take a look at that going into the season. Nick, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again. Yes, sir. Thank you. Brian, Nick made one comment on there too about if you're putting Roundup out there and the droplet size, I know Wesley Everman said it too, you can use a smaller droplet and do a good job with Roundup, but if you're putting in 2,4-D and Dicamba, that really changes things where you have to start worrying about drift a lot more. Well, I don't know. I think you have to worry about drift with Roundup too. We used to have a lot of those issues. It all depends on where you're at and the neighboring crops. There are a lot of people trying to grow conventional, organic, you name it. So we have to be worried about everything that we spray. Well, we'll continue talking a little about spring glyphosate applications and getting to your calls and questions right after this on Ag PhD Radio. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed-to-soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. 
Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void where prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about spring roundup applications, but also taking your agronomic questions. You can always send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or you can give us a phone call, 844-442-4743. That's exactly what Matt from Oregon did. Matt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you guys today? Pretty good, pretty good. Did uh, did you catch any of our phosphorus discussion earlier in the show talking about uh, uh, Jerome from Nebraska wanted to put some phosphorus down with a drill out in a standing alfalfa crop? I, I was thinking, I heard he had a phosphorus no-till question, and I, I was wondering if you had caught any of that discussion. No, I'm out spraying today, and uh, I must have been mixing a tank or something when uh, when you guys talked about that. Okay, so but, um, so talk to us about your situation then with uh, with no-till ground so, and phosphorus. So we, we farm orchard crops. I actually sent in a question via email to you guys here several months ago, and I just had a chance to catch up on reading and noticed it was in there, and that was for, that was for zinc. But um, so we farm orchard crops out here in Oregon, hazelnut specifically, and we've got orchards that have been in the ground for 50, 60, 70 years. And phosphorus levels that aren't bad, but they're not great. So if I'm looking at something that's not going to get tilled for who knows how long these orchards are going to be in for, how does a guy build phosphorus up if um, if you're only going to be top dressing it, or, or would it not be worth doing it at all? Well, here's the thing, Matt. We know that you need a lot of phosphorus in these crops, you know, whether it's your hazelnuts or any crop. So you as farmers, that's always our challenge is to try to figure out how are we going to do this when we have a nutrient like phosphorus that doesn't move very well in soil. So here are just a couple of our thoughts. First of all, I mean, we really do like injecting phosphorus down into the ground, and that's what the discussion was a little bit earlier in the show. But the challenge is you also don't want to cut off a whole bunch of roots. So it's not like you have to be super deep or anything, but you just want to get it down in the soil a little bit. Phosphorus is the number one water quality issue we have in the United States today, and it's something that just as a general statement, the government and just our citizens as a whole in the United States are concerned about how we as farmers apply our phosphorus. If we lay it on the soil surface and it doesn't move down, then we're subject to wind and rain erosion, possibly moving it off site and creating some issues. So that that's the one side, the environmental side. The side for us as farmers and agronomists, um, on top of that is we don't get the bang for the buck that we've invested if we don't get it down into the root zone somehow, some way. So either it ends up being injection or tillage, or what some guys have done is they have just gone out and banded very high rates of liquid. And the thought is, okay, they're putting on so much in a spot, not broadcast, but in a spot that they're getting it to move down at least a little bit 
and certainly much more than you would if you, let's say, just broadcast dry over the surface of the soil and it very slowly broke down over a period of time. So those would be our general suggestions. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's, we we don't, I mean, we have to harvest off the ground. We're kind of like almonds and walnuts and stuff down in California and it gets wet here in Oregon. We can have wet falls. I mean, a couple Octobers ago, we had a foot of rain in October trying to harvest and um, yeah, and trying to get out spraying early in March. Working the ground can be kind of uh, can be hairy for us getting out in the field. But that's the problem we have. And so, I mean, if a guy just buries it two inches in the ground, even yep. with that, yep, probably better than than absolutely. right on top. Figure out a way to do that. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Otherwise, like I say, a concentrated band certainly would work. And you know, the good thing with phosphorus is it's not like you're going to lose it. So literally, you could put it out on a perennial crop like this any time of year that you want to, I don't really care. Just get it out there and then it'll stay there until your crop eventually uses it, even if it's many years down the road. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I, I was reading the article that, uh, in the magazine a couple issues back about my zinc deal and i sure. unfortunately i didn't read it in time before i went out and did a trial <laughs> orchard i just put on about 15 pounds of zinc sulfate maker and yep and uh, just on a small scale just to try it and we'll see what happens sure. but i just laid it on the soil surface but, yeah um, and, i guess like and you, and you can with phosphorus and and zinc and copper uh all these nutrients that don't move very well in soil it's not like you can't lay them on the soil surface it's just it might take years before they they 100 percent get down and into the root zone so if you want a faster return with less environmental risk that's why we talk about getting it down even a couple inches that really will help you now the other thing that i would say and and when you're reading in the magazine we may have mentioned the phosphorus to zinc ratio so i'm i I was wondering if that's why you're asking about the phosphorus now but you know it's it's something we got to pay attention to not just with these major nutrients like p and k but phosphorus uh, or I should say, but zinc is a really big deal too. Uh, oh, and I, I will say too, I don't know what you're doing on potassium, but we've talked about phosphorus, we've talked about zinc, but potassium is by far and away the number one thing we we visit about with people who have orchards because those tree crops, man, they need a lot of K. So that is yes, one thing that can, that, that can move in the soil better than phosphorus. Still is slow, but it's definitely better than phosphorus at least. Sure. Yeah, and we've had some leaf samples at um, of seven and a half percent base saturation soils, and uh, potassium is still still short. Yeah. So. Yep. <laughs> yep. I hear so. you. Okay. Uh, no, that's our situation here, and I, I thank you guys for uh, helping me out. I appreciate it. I love your guys' show and listen to it just about every day, and love what you guys are doing. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Matt. Good to hear from you. Yeah. Have a good one. You yep. too. Bye. All right, Brian, got some soil tests sent in from Dan, and he said, I, I had some calcium and magnesium questions for Neil Kinsey, but but the lab that I'm using, or the company I work with, goes through Midwest Labs, and Neil suggested we may talk to you since you're more familiar with their results. Would you make any magnesium and calcium adjustments, and is there anything else that sticks out to you on my test? Okay. So when Neil talks, he talks all the time about calcium and magnesium. And I am not saying they aren't important because they absolutely are. But if pH is about right, and on a lot of his samples, they are. He's in the range of 6.4 to 7.1 pH. Or let's see. Uh, let me No, I, 
well, on most of it, that's where he's at. He's got, I'm looking at it right now, one spot of 7.7. But yeah, most of it is pretty good for pH. So as long as we get the pH right, then I'm not as worried about the calcium and magnesium right off the bat. So what we typically find is we're able to get a better return on investment looking at phosphorus and potassium to start with, and then we start going to the micronutrients. Now, when you listen to Neil, he also will tell you, hey, NP and K has got to be first. Then we're probably going to look at the calcium and magnesium. Then probably the micronutrients. We've found that the micronutrients, at least in our case and in our research, has trumped calcium and magnesium. So in other words, I'd rather spend my money on micronutrients before I get to calcium and magnesium in most cases, not in all, but like in your case, absolutely. I, your, your calcium and magnesium thing is not bad at all. So he's got a lot of calcium levels around 80% and his magnesium is around 14, 15, something like that. That is not bad. His cation exchange capacity is around 20. Uh, the, the thing that I I am missing here is micronutrients. I don't see any micronutrient results. I would really like to see those because it wouldn't surprise me if there are some micronutrients you could put on. But in terms of where your first dollar should go, it's P and K. Your phosphorus levels are really low. Your potassium levels are really low. So I would be working on both of those things and then you're going to be in good shape. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this one from Kenny. He said, we've got wild onion out in our soybean fields. What should we use to try to kill the wild onion? First of all, uh, Kenny, thanks for the question. We're talking about a, a, what's termed a winter perennial in many parts of the country with this particular weed, where it's going to start from a bulb and emerge late fall, and those bulbs can live for, for many years. So if you could pull them or dig out the bulbs, well, that's a 100% control method. But if you want to use herbicides, the challenge is you can't really get them to stick to those leaves very well. So we'd suggest using concentrated droplets. So any droplets that do stick have a lot of killing power. Uh, fall herbicide application would be the best. 2,4-D, dicamba, and Roundup are all good. So with soybeans, I would recommend planting either an Extend, an Extend Flex, or an Enlist soybean so you have all of those options. Thanks for the question, Kenny. We'll get right back to more of your questions right after this. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, 
and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time here in the Morton studio. And we are taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. We got an email from Mike that just came in. And he said, is it safe to use this old soil sample tool? Well, a lot of times, as we often say on the show, if you're asking the question, would this be okay? You probably already know the answer. Uh, so Mike sent us a couple pictures of an old, uh, dirty and rusty tool, a uh, soil sample probe. And he said, uh, it's a little dirty, a little rusty, a little bit of the chrome's flaked off. I'm wondering if I clean it up, wash it out, could I take a soil sample for the lawn or garden, or would it be affected by the less than pristine surface? If you cleaned it up, it's probably going to be okay. But here's the thing. We really like stainless steel for probes because then you don't have to worry about the rust. And when you have rust, typically your iron levels are going to get very much skewed. So in order to get the best data, you've got to have a good sample that's not contaminated. So yeah, either clean that up or get a stainless steel probe. Uh, a, a probe costs roughly 100 bucks, something like that. Stainless steel. Yep, and they last for a long, long time. Now, if you... Uh, this, Unless you run them over or something <laughs> Well, like that. sure, or forget it out <laughs> in a field. I actually uh, talked to somebody this last season that they were out pulling plant tissue analysis, and there was a stainless steel probe stuck in their field. Uh, whoever had been soil sampling that spring uh, had left one there and then not wasn't able to find it later. I thought that was quite interesting. You find all kinds of things out there. Uh, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Mike. Uh, all right, Brian, had a herbicide question here, and this one came in from Joe. 
And he said, uh, we're a small farm, southwest Illinois. I've been spraying our herbicides the last few years. I'm learning every day and every year. There's so many products out there. I uh, appreciate your advice, and I also get advice from the co-op, too. So you guys always talk about the three pre's for soybeans, Prowl, Metribuse, and Valor Authority. Uh, here's what my co-op is suggesting that we use for our 30-inch row in list soybeans in our pre-emerge application this year. They suggest I use a pint of a, a generic dual or metallochlor. I use three and a half ounces of Invive, which contains roughly two ounces of Valor, uh, a ounce and a third of Classic, and some Harmony GT, and then a quart of Enlist One. So 2,4-D, Valor, Classic, Harmony GT, and Metallochlor as my pre. I'm wondering, do I need that? It's That's almost $40 an acre. Your program sounds cheaper. And then post-emerge, my plan was to do Liberty plus Clethodim twice. Just wondering what you think of that. Okay, so here I'm writing that down on the Liberty Clethodim. Uh, okay, what I would say first of all is we're not – totally comparing apples to apples. The Enlist 1 in the program your co-op is recommending would still need to go with the three pre's if you have a lot of stuff there to burn down. So when we talk three pre's, we're talking about a yellow. So in no-till, that's Prowl. We're talking about Metribuzin and then either Valor or Authority. So in your program, instead of the yellow, you got Dual. And Dual is I mean, it's fine. It's going to be a little bit cheaper, but it's not going to work as well as what the prowl is. So you'll get better broadleaf control and definitely better grass control out of the prowl. The Invive contains Valor, and we're talking about Valor. So basically the substitute is you're getting rid of the Classic and Harmony, and you're putting in Metribuzin. And that will, in most cases, be a much better choice for you. Classic and Harmony are ALS herbicides. But here's the thing you didn't tell us which weeds you're after. So it would be a little bit irresponsible of me to just say, oh, for sure this other program's better than this one because I don't know what weeds you're definitely after. With Classic and Harmony, since they're ALS herbicides and they don't kill those ALS-resistant weeds like Palmer pigweed, water hemp, uh, kochia, common ragweed, giant ragweed. I mean, a lot of the, the most common weeds that we have out in fields, broadleaf weeds, Classic and, classic and Harmony aren't going to help you. Plus, Classic, that's such an enormously high rate. If you have a high pH spot in your field, you're, you may have carryover into the next year. And I've seen carryover from Classic literally kill corn. Didn't even come out of the ground it killed it that much. So I'm not a fan of Invive. I'm not, and that's the reason why. So anyway, I, I would rather see you do the three pre-program that we talk about, but you're going to have to throw something else in to help burn, burn down. And it might not have to be the full rate of the Enlist 1, but you're probably going to need something. Now, in terms of spraying Liberty twice post-emerge, one time, great. Okay, If you want to go Liberty, Clethodim one time, and I'd probably do it first so you get better spray coverage when you have less canopy that's fine the second time i would i would if it was me and you need to spray a second time because we don't know if you need to or not enlist one would be my choice for the second time because number one you can spray it later you can go all the way up to r2 full flower versus r1 with liberty that's first flower uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is you don't need as great of spray coverage within list one compared to the Liberty. So if it was me, 
well, we do raise Enlist Beans on our farm. We will go Liberty first, and we will follow with Enlist One second if we need to. So that's what I would do. Otherwise, I mean, the program the co-op recommended is certainly not terrible or anything. I just don't love Invive because they don't like the Classic and Harmony in there. I think you could take those same dollars, stick them into Metribuzin, and you'd come out ahead. All right. Thanks for the question. Get this one from Glenn, and it's going to be a popular one here coming up. He said, what herbicide would you recommend I use to kill clover in my lawn? Well, you've got a number of choices. Usually, most people are spraying 2,4-D in the lawn, and I don't have a big issue with that. You just have to run a high rate, Especially and you're going to have to spray off. Especially if you 2,4-D choline, because then you don't right. have to worry as much about the drift. So Freelix, in other words. So the new 2,4-D. volatility, I should say. Yeah, yep, yep. So Freelix is the product to use. It's not much more expensive than regular 2,4-D, and you will love it because you won't kill your family's flowers. Uh, you won't drop leaves off trees. You won't drift into the neighbor's uh, whatever plants that they have and it's going to be so much nicer don't use old 2,4-D ever in lawns is my opinion make sure you're using the new stuff that doesn't volatilize and drift all over the country Um, otherwise you certainly could use something like mesotrione or tenacity would be the product for lawns same thing as callisto that we would use in corn that is pretty good Uh, That'll turn stuff white, by the way, so don't panic when you see, oh, well, my clover's turned white. What's going on? That's just the way the herbicide works. It inhibits photosynthesis, so when the plant can't get photosynthesis, of course, it's going to turn white, and then eventually it's going to die. Um, Beyond that, drive isn't too bad. That'd be the same thing as facet L that's used in, in grain sorghum. Those are probably my top three, I would say, Darren. Okay. Thanks for the question, Glenn. We appreciate that. Get this from DA, and this is a, a discussion that, that is very common in, in the ag industry with corn growers. Uh, DA says, all right, I've got a question. He's in South America, by the way. He said, last week we were out looking at my cornfield, and an agronomist friend made this observation. He said, your ears have kernels all the way to the very tip. That means you should be planting a higher population next time. Just wondering what you guys think. I'm planting 23,500 seeds per acre, and I'm shooting for 150 bushels, which is roughly 7 bushels per thousand. My boron, on average, you talk about that a lot on your show, is 2 to 3 parts per million. There you go. A lot of times what we see filling out all the way to the end just means you have really good boron levels. And certainly, you know, it's possible you could bump the population, but you're only at seven bushels per thousand, as opposed to we'd really like to see it closer to 10. What we're saying is that your 25,000 planting population, you theoretically... 23.5. Oh, sorry. 23.5. You could get 235 bushel corn. There are people that are doing that out there. So I would continue looking harder at all the other nutrients, drainage, just anything else that could affect yield. I'm not saying don't bump your population, but I am saying if it was me, I wouldn't bump it much because you're kind of at the low end right now of yield for the population that you're putting out there. And that usually means, like I say, there's some other limiting factor beyond population. All right. Thanks for the question, DA. I really appreciate that. Uh, We were talking about spring roundup applications today. Brian, just one more time, can you go through what the roundup rules are as we head into the spring application time? Well, real quick, I would say, hey, if if the weather's cold, you either have to bump the rate 
or you gotta wait to spray. So if you wanna wait to spray, that's fine, but bumping the rate will probably only cost you an extra dollar or two. In terms of temperature, what we usually look for is 50 degrees Fahrenheit or less two nights before or within two, day, two days after you're spraying. So we're looking at the nighttime temperature below 50 degrees. That tells us either bump the rate or just wait to spray until it, it warms up. If it's been cold or it's going to get cold, you're probably better off waiting to spray. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.